Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Well, y'all are a good-looking group, I tell you what. Some of you. If you amen to that, you're a conceited group as well, but... As we get started, some of you look around, you'll see that in front of you or in your pew, there was a little uh, bookmark, looks something like this, okay? Don't freak out, I'm going to tell you what to do with it, all right? Just get it, get one. If you don't have one, there's some up front, there's some throughout, we'll get you one by the end, okay? Um, We're going to do something with them. But you don't know what now, so don't do anything with it now. I just wanted to acknowledge it was there because Baptists get into the scheme and the flow of doing things the same way, and then you trick them by putting something else in their pew, and they spend all their time going, what's that, instead of going, well, what's going on up here, okay? So we're going to do something with them, I promise. Some of, most of you could have figured it out without me, but we'll walk through it together uh, by the time we get to the end because we move uh, out of our series. We started this year with a focus on establishing a good theological identity for God. We said it was imperative that we establish a good identity for God because in this culture, in this day and age, in our churches and and in our country and in our world even, uh, we don't have a very healthy identity of God. We have uh, the God of this, the God of that, but we don't like to take the entire scope of the God of the Bible. And so we spent a few weeks determining Uh, that that God is holy, he's faithful, he's just, and he's love, right? We spent time on those four major attributes of God. And if you were here for those messages, you felt, uh, no doubt, the way that I did as I was studying through them, that the God we serve and who we spoke about, the God who spoke us into existence, the God who put all of this into into motion is truly an all-inspiring, sovereign, amazing God. Amen? We serve an amazing God. And so the next logical thought that I had along that lines is if my God is so amazing, what stops us from telling other people about God? Right? I mean, here's the thing. If you go to an amazing restaurant, do you have any problem telling all of your friends about that amazing restaurant? Of course not, right? If you go to an amazing uh, children's event, moms, do you have any problem telling all your other mom friends about this amazing place for children that they can go and take their kids? Of course not. We don't have any problem with that. And yet, we serve a God who spoke everything into existence, who in the process of speaking everything into existence created us in his image to have relationship with him. He loved us so much that when we fell out of that relationship, he provided us a savior that we might be reconciled to him. And yet we somehow or another think we ought to keep that head under our pillow. That's the most amazing thing in all of the universe. So why we must share Jesus. So given that idea of how amazing God is and given the initiative 
for 2020 that we would all be involved in the discipleship process and get plugged into a small group, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at evangelism and discipleship. We're going to look at why we must evangelize, how we are to evangelize, why we're to be discipled. Why do we do these things? So why is discipleship and evangelism studied together? Brother Jason, aren't they different things? Isn't evangelism the process of telling others about Jesus? And isn't discipleship the process of teaching people once they know Jesus? Yes, absolutely. But I'm here to tell you that as we go through this, you're going to learn you can't have one without the other. There's no way to have one without the other. Jesus didn't command us to go out and make converts in the Great Commission. Jesus didn't go out in the Great Commission and say, I want you to go out and qualify those for baptism and dunk them. He didn't say, I want you to get those who could be converts so we can send in a nice number to the TBMB when they ask us what our number for this year is. No, Jesus said we are to go out and make disciples. That means we're to go out and teach people all of the commands of the Word of God and and equip them then to go out and make disciples themselves. So it's impossible to do a good job of making disciples if the end result is not evangelism because a disciple of Jesus shares Jesus. And it's impossible to do a good job of sharing Jesus without discipling people to make them more like Him. It's just how the process goes. And so... Over the next few weeks, we're looking at why and how we disciple and evangelize and then how it looks to get plugged into that. And so this morning, we start off by looking at the idea of why we must share Jesus. Why we must share Jesus. We could have titled this message, The Urgency of Evangelism. But the idea is this, if God is good and man is sinful, can we agree on that? God is good and man is sinful. In other words, God's good and man's not. Right? It's really easy. God's good, man's not. So if God is good and man is not, what is the method by which God has chosen to share the good news that man can be reconciled to himself? And the idea is this. God, in his sovereignty, in his all-knowing, all-powerful essence, decided that the best way that other people would hear about his good news is through people that have already heard his good news. Right? What did God say? My church, my disciples, those who know me, are going to be the method by which my gospel is taken out all over the place. But while we sit there and go, well, couldn't God have chosen some other method? Sure. Couldn't God have just snapped his fingers and, and given everybody all the knowledge they needed? Sure. But think about it this. We don't really find it that far. And if, you were, if I were going to teach a class... On hunting the white-tailed deers, deer, excuse me, no S. Sometimes in my English, I don't speak very well. Um, if I were going to teach a class on hunting the white-tailed deer, I don't think that I would have somebody stand up front and teach it who's never shot a gun or saw a deer, would I? They wouldn't know what they were doing. Right? When we go into the workplace, they don't typically take the least experienced person in the workplace and say, hey, we hired you yesterday. Would you take the new employees class today? No, we find somebody who knows what they're doing to teach the class. Right? So Jesus said, I'm going to find somebody that knows me and have them go tell others about how they got to know me. Right, That makes sense, really. It just makes good walking around. It's the greatest tool for sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus is those who have responded in faith to Jesus to go out and tell somebody about him. So I want to ask you now if you're able to stand. 
In honor and reverence for the reading of the Word of God from Hebrews chapter 9, we'll just be in two verses this morning, starting in verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Let us pray. Father God, that your will be done. Father God, we pray even now that your spirit would reign in this place. Father, we ask if there be any devil, any demon, Father, any spirit or even any thought that is not held captive of your Holy Spirit, would you remove it at this time, God? That for the next few minutes, Father, nothing, Father, nothing would receive the focus but you and you alone. Draw us near to you, Jesus. And we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise, as all of God's people said. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, as we launch into this season, I'm going to challenge you in a more tangible way than I ever have before on this subject. Go ahead and get ready. I'm going to challenge you in a more real and more tangible way than I ever have on this topic of evangelism. And so, as we get to that, I don't feel that it be... Uh, logical that I would challenge you on evangelism until I showed you why it's so important that we would do so. Right? It would be silly for me to give you the end without giving you the beginning. So we're going to establish the reason for why we must share Jesus. And the first point we see in our text this morning is there is a common truth for all humanity. There is a common truth for humanity. Notice with me as we get started. Verse 27 introduces us into a very sobering truth and it says this, it is appointed Unto men to what? Die once. It is appointed unto all men to die. That's not a statement of some men. There, there's no qualification to that statement. Is it appointed to, to occasional men? It's appointed to bad men? It's appointed to sick people? No, it says it's appointed unto all men to die once. Uh, it, it's not something that comes to the poor. It's not something that comes to the rich, right? It's something we understand that. That for all of man, there is going to be death. It's, a, it's an entire encompassing statement. Last week, we were reminded of that truth both on a very public and a very personal scale. Right? We saw just, was it, I believe it was last Sunday, as we got out of the morning worship and we were preparing for the evening worship, uh, my phone began to give me these, these updates and these reminders from ESPN and all of these other sites that, that Kobe Bryant had died in a helicopter crash, right? We began to see that last Sunday afternoon. We saw this, this celebrity figure, this, this seemingly larger than life figure, and we saw that he died. And as we saw that, so many athletes this week, so many celebrities, so many of those looked at it and said he was physically fit. He was, he was personally wealthy. He had everything that he needed on this earth to be what we would call very successful. By all accounts, he was a good father, right? He had all of these things going for him, and he seemingly was larger than life. And how many celebrities and athletes this week did you see come face to face with the sobering reality that death is no respecter of person? It flat does not matter who you are. Death is going to happen, even to the athlete. We saw it on a very personal level just last week. We lost a dear brother and a dear friend 
Right? So we saw it on the the grand scale. We saw it on the very intimate scale as we had a service just last weekend to lay a dear brother to rest. And the truth of the matter is that if we sat here and we think we don't have to struggle very hard to recognize that truth that death is going to happen. Right? It is appointed unto man to die once. In my time as pastor, I have had... The task of, of, of sitting with families, as they said chill, goodbye to children as young as a few months, a few hours, and a few years old. I've been with families as they laid to rest very mature in age family members. Brother Ligon, no doubt in your line of business, You've seen it all. Every generation between the young and the old, we've we've been to, to celebrations of their lives. No age, no creed, no denomination, no thought is exempt from the truth that all man will die. In fact, it's in the very intrinsic nature and makeup of who we are that it is appointed unto us once to die. You say, well, Brother Jason, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat that. I'm just gonna live until the rapture. I'm just going to live until Gabriel's horn goes toot and then I'm going to scoot and I ain't never going to die. Guess what? You're still going to die. What do you mean, Brother Jason? Well, what I mean is this body you have is flesh and bones and it's built for the short run. And somewhere between here and the long run in heaven, it's going to die. So if you live until the rapture, if Jesus were to rapture us home right now, do you know that we'd all die betwixt here and there? So you're going to die. You say, well, Brother Jason, that's a good job of sharing the good news. I can see why you're so good at sharing good news. You've come in here this morning. I've, come to, I've got up on Sunday morning. I put my Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on. I even took a bath. And I got here, and you brought me in here to tell me I was going to die. Thank you, Brother Jason, for that. <laughs> and guess what? If I don't tell you the bad news, you won't appreciate the good news. Uh, if I don't tell you the bad news, you won't appreciate the good news. Let me, let me put it to you this way. What if you walked into the doctor's office tomorrow morning and you had a checkup? You walked into the doctor's office, you sat there, and 45 minutes after your appointment was supposed to be, because you know that's when you're going to see the doctor, you were sitting in that room and that doctor walked in and he said, I have got good news for you, sir. Your cancer is gone. But you never know you'd had it in the first place. Well, sure, you'd be glad, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be glad my cancer was gone. But I wouldn't be nearly as glad as I'd be if I'd been staring at death's door thinking there was no cure and he come in and told me that. Right? I might be a little bit glad to know that the cancer wasn't there, but I wouldn't be nearly as glad as if, if, if the week before I'd been coming in on pins and needles worried about that next scan. Some of you know with a very real sobering truth what that feels like to be uh, uh, on the process of a cancer treatment and know what it's like to wait on that scan. So for the rest of us, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what that feels like. And so we wouldn't appreciate that good news that we'd received. You see, you can't establish just how sweet the grace of Jesus is until you establish just how bleak our situation is apart from him. It's appointed unto man to die once. Brings us to our second point this morning, and it's this. We have a common problem for humanity. 
there's a common problem for all humanity. So the common truth is we're all going to die. All of humanity has that in common. I don't care who you run into, who you see, where you go. You look at them. You can look them in the eye. You might not dress the way they do. You might not look the way they do. But you got one thing in common with them. You're both going to die someday. You got another thing in common with them too, though. You got a problem that they have. We all have a common truth. We all have a common problem. It follows there in verse 27. It says, it's appointed unto man to die once, but what? After this, the judgment. So we're going to die. We're going to die. But eternity doesn't stop at the physical death. Amen? Eternity begins at the physical death. Let me say that again. Eternity doesn't stop at the physical death. You see, we always think of life in terms of this timeline. You have the start at birth and you have the finish at death. And somehow or another, in our finite minds, we say that that's what it's made up of. But when in reality, this, uh, according to the Word of God, is just a vapor in the wind. It's just a, a breath. It's just a moment in terms of eternity. Because when the physical death it, it happens here on this earth, the, the eternal life begins. And that's for both the saved and the unsaved. Eternity begins at that point. And so the problem really for humanity is not that we're going to die, right? That, that sounds bleak enough, but the problem is that after we die, we're going to face judgment. And if we face this judgment, how are we going to know that we're good enough, right? So if there's going to be a judgment, how does that work? If there's a judgment, the judgment is either passed down from the judge that you're either guilty or you're not guilty, right? When you face a, a criminal trial, that's the situation that is determined. The situation is this. You're either found guilty or you're found not guilty. You're either found good enough or not good enough, right? And, and so how do we look that and say, how do we stand before a righteous God and be found good enough in, in that situation? Surely to goodness, if I stand before God, 51% righteous, I've been good enough, right? If I was good a little more than I was bad... Is that good enough? And the Word of God says no. Well, what about 75% good, right? If, if I'm good enough most of the time, right? I'm good three-fourths of the time. I only do bad one-fourth of the time. If I live to be 100 years, that means I was only bad for 25 of them. No, that's not good enough. Well, how about this, Brother Jason? What if I'm 99% good? I'm 99% righteous. That means almost every time I'm righteous. Almost every time I act the way I'm supposed to. Almost every time I do what the Word of God says to. Almost every time I get there. And the fact of the matter of this is absolutely not. You're still not good enough. Why? Because God is holy. And his standard is perfection. That's not fair, Brother Jason. Sure it is. He's God. He's God. And he requires that your standard be that of perfection. Here's the biggest problem. Not even one blemish is allowed. And let me tell you the biggest problem that we have is humanity. It's not that we're going to die. It's that we're going to be judged. And the problem is that when we're judged, we don't stand a chance on being found righteous. The Word of God says in Romans that through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and with it death. That means if you're a human, you inherited a nature of sin from our very first forefather that makes you tainted at birth. And apart from Jesus, you're tainted. You can't fix it. You just can't fix it. The Word of God also says this though in Romans. It says that none of us are righteous. No, not 
one. So the problem that we all have is, as humanity is that when we stand before God in and of our own record, we're not righteous. We're not good enough. In other words, when we stand before God, we're guilty. Guilty as charged and due the just punishment that we would receive. You know what, though? I would be willing to bet that even if we lowered the standard to 50%, most of us would still find ourselves grossly inadequate. I don't know about you guys, but if you tallied up the results of my thoughts and my failures and my shortcomings, the fact is that I'm not even 50% good. Not even 50% good for my whole life. Let's just say today, I probably won't be 50% good today, and I'm in church for a good part of it. <laughs> and if you're being honest, most of you would have to say the same thing, wouldn't you? I'm not really all that good. We like to think we're good. We even describe each other as good, right? If I were to introduce most of you, I'd say, oh, Josh, he's a good guy. But in reality, he's not. You know what that means? It means I'm so thankful that my forgiveness and righteousness and the standing of God is not based on my goodness. I'm so thankful it's not based on my goodness. We have this truth that we're going to die. We have this problem that we're going to face judgment, and we are guilty of the charges levied against us. Can we agree on that? So, Brother Jason, why do you preach this to a church building made up mostly of believers in Jesus? Most, ever, most people here would have a testimony that they're saved. So why would you preach to me about death and judgment so much, Brother Jason? Why would you preach to me about this? Let me ask you this. Do you know somebody that's not? Do you know somebody that isn't? Do you know somebody that's far from God? That's, that's the, the term that we've been using. Somebody far from God, okay? Do you know somebody who is? Because guess what? The worst thing that we can do is trust in Christ and forget where we were without him. We need to be reminded of how hopeless and hell-bound our situation was apart from Jesus. Because, see, it's easy to get saved and start to go to church and start to do all these things and forget where we were before Jesus saved us. And you know why you got saved? Because somebody shared the good news of Jesus. Somebody shared the good news of Jesus. All right, so the cards in your pews. If you have one, grab it. If you don't have one, find one. I'm giving, I'm giving you freedom to be fidgety during the sermon. I don't normally do that. If you can't get a hold of one, there are some in empty pews around. Um, and there are some up front. You can come get them here in a minute. There's going to be a time for that as well. But if you have one, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be thinking about who's your one. Who's your one? All right, so here's the idea. Be thinking about it. You're going to write the name twice. There's a detachable, there's a detachable part on the end. It's perforated. You're going to write their name there. You're going to write their name there. We're going to do something with it. If you think of it, write their name on it. Write the name of the person who's on your heart. Maybe you just don't know if they know God. You've never talked to them about it and you want to know. Maybe they're far from God. You think maybe they got saved one time, but they're, they're not in church. They're not worshiping. They're not following. They're not committed anymore. And you want to pray for them. And maybe you know for a fact that they're lost. So put their name on there. If you don't have it yet, think about it. I want you to think about this because you're going to be committed to this person. 
I told you, we're going to be more tangible with this challenge than we've ever been before. You're going to be committed to this person for a while. So I want you to think about it. I want you to love them enough to put their name down. If you don't have it yet, that's okay. Just get that ready. All right? And if you don't have a card, there's some more up front. We'll get them in a minute. That's okay. Because this brings us to our last point of why we must share Jesus, and it's this. There's one common answer for humanity. There is one common answer for humanity. Right? We all have we all have a problem. We all have a truth that we're going to die. We all have a problem. It's that we're not righteous. But guess what? We all have an answer. And that answer is the same. So that means I want you to, I want you to think about this. You walk out this door, you get in your car, you go right and you go to the Walmart. Does everybody know where the Walmart is? You get out and go in the Walmart. There ain't no telling what you're going to see, right? Guess what? Whatever you see, they're going to die just like you. When they die, they're going to face judgment in need of a Savior just like you. And they're going to die with only one answer to their problem, just like you. See, I don't think I have very much in common with them. Look what they're wearing. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Your problem is that you need Jesus. Their answer is that they need Jesus. Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. Look at the beginning of verse 28. Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. That's the answer. Right? Humanity's problem is sin, and the answer is Christ. It's a very simple answer to a very real problem. I don't know about you guys, but, but when I have problems, I love it when there's a simple answer. Right? I love it when there's a very simple answer to my very real problems. And here we see there's a very simple answer. The answer is Jesus. The good news. That is related to the bad news that we've preached about all day is this. You don't have to die and go to hell. You don't have to. You don't have to die with that problem that you were born with. You don't have to stay there. And I don't know about you guys, but, but I can think of a time in my life where I was going through a, a little struggle with something personally. And I had a dear friend of mine. He come up and he put his arm around me and he said this to me. He said, this won't last. Guess what? Your problem with sin, it will last apart from Jesus, but it doesn't have to last. Why? Because Jesus, on an old rugged cross on a hill called Calvary, paid for your sin when he stretched his arms open wide, when he said, it is finished, what was finished is that the penalty for your sin had been paid. And you don't have to die and suffer the wrath of God for your sin because Jesus did it for you. The Word of God says you couldn't do anything to fix your sin on your own. But God so loved the world that He gave Jesus that whosoever would believe on Him. That's not a qualified statement, is it? Whosoever would believe on Him would not die but have eternal life. Whoever believes will be saved. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Thou shalt confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you shall be saved. It doesn't say if somebody, if the rich, if the wealthy, if the good enough, if the qualified. It says if thou shalt. If thou shalt confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you shall be saved. 
But you know what it says right after that? God's good, isn't he? God's good. He puts something right after that that ought to just stab us right in the heart. Right after that, if thou shalt confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then right after that he says, how will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe if they have not heard? And how will they hear if someone doesn't preach? If thou shalt confess with your mouth and believe your heart that Jesus is Lord, but how will they believe in him in whom they haven't heard? And how will they hear about him in whom they haven't believed unless someone preaches? We are the method by which they hear. Do you realize that the gospel of Jesus is the power of life and the power of salvation? When you put it all together, the truth is this. There is a lost and dying world full of those who need to be saved. And the only way that's going to happen is if they hear the gospel of Jesus. And the only way they're going to hear it is if the church fulfills its great commission. Church, that's important. You've got a job to do. It's not a job that's based on a pay scale. It's not a job where I'm going to work harder. I had a conversation with a man this morning. We were joking about in, in the workplace how when the money increases, the workload can increase and we don't mind it as bad. Can I tell you something? There's far more at stake than financial gain. People are going to hell all around us and we're the reason. Well, I didn't send for him. You sinned with him. And God says that your job is to tell them about Jesus. We can't even tell our neighbor. Can't even tell our family. Can't even tell our friend. How are we going to worry about evangelizing the world if we can't even evangelize those next to us? Brother Jason, it says somebody's got to preach it to them. That means it's got to be a preacher and I ain't a preacher. I'm glad you said that. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says if you are saved, hang on, if you're saved, you're part of a royal priesthood. Mm. Chosen to declare the praises of the one that saved you. Hang on. If you're saved, that means if you know Jesus, you're part of a royal priesthood. I don't mean you was anointed or appointed by a congregation. It doesn't mean you was ordained or set apart to lead a congregation. It means you were saved in order to be a priest, part of a royal priesthood, that you might declare the praises of the one that saved you. In other words, you is a preacher. (laughs) Think with me of this. We're getting to the end. Think of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man goes to Hades. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. The rich man looks up at Lazarus and what's he say? Can he just dip his finger in the water and come quench my thirst in this eternal punishment? He says, no, no, no. The chasm's too great between you and him. He couldn't come to you if he wanted to. And then what's he say next? doesn't stop there with his personal need, does he? He says, could you please send him to my brothers? Could you please send him to my friends? Send him to my hometown. Send him to the people that I love that they would not end up here. Surely, if Lazarus comes back from the dead and tells them about it, 
they'll believe. Church, the voices of those in agony realizing the separation from God that they heard about was real cry out, would you please tell my family? There's a lost and dying world begging to hear from Jesus. And it is our charge to tell them the simple truth that Jesus is their hope. Hopelessness is a scary thing. It's our job to tell them there's hope. So who's your one? It is a daunting task to to think of all those who need to hear about Jesus. It really is. If I told you the statistics, they'd blow your mind. Okay, I'm going to tell you. This is not people who are saved. This is people who are in church. I don't even know how to measure saved or not saved, right? But do you realize that in the state of Tennessee, 61% of people claim no religious affiliation. And that was in 2016. I'm sure that number's increased. That means they're proud of the fact that they don't go to church. They ain't even going to lie about it when they do a census, right? I mean, even people that don't go to church very much will generally tell a story and say, oh, yeah, I'm part of that church. These people say, no, I don't go. I don't want to. I don't care. Count me in that number. That's Tennessee. I don't know about you guys, but I think we're a pretty religious state. I mean, you can't drive four miles without seeing another church. The problem is not opportunity. The problem is that every four miles there's a church and the people inside of it have gotten so focused on themselves that we quit telling others about Jesus. So it's a daunting task to think that 61% of this state doesn't know Jesus. You know what's not too daunting though? One. Just one. I want you to think about this with me. If everyone here would commit to wholeheartedly and passionately pursuing one person with the gospel, just one. There's about 130 some odd adults in here this morning, give or take a few. What if 60% took this challenge seriously? I'm realistic. I know not 100%. I wish. But what if 60% of the people in here took this challenge seriously and wholeheartedly prayed for and sought after opportunities to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with this one person? Who's your one? Do you realize that 70 people would be pursued? 70 people would be pursued with the good news that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. 70 people, if 60% of the people here this morning got serious about this, 70 people would be pursued with the gospel of Jesus Christ out of this congregation. Guys, I don't know about you, but I believe the gospel is powerful. I believe the good news of Jesus Christ is powerful. You know why I believe it? Because there was a time in my life when I was headed straight for hell as fast as I could go and somebody preached the gospel to me and Jesus transformed me at that moment and my life has been drastically different ever since that time because now I have a hope that's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I don't stand on my own anymore. I'm not hopeless anymore. I'm not hell bound anymore. I'm not defeated anymore. Do I fail every day? Do I fail you every moment? Am I good enough? Never. But I stand defeated by nothing because my Savior has already fought my battles. 
And everybody ought to hear that truth that we all have the authority to speak the truth of Jesus Christ into lives. I'm going to share your story with you as we close. I've heard it so many times. Most of you will have heard it, but it applies here so truthfully. This is the story of everybody, somebody, nobody, and anybody. You got me? It's a story. Everybody, somebody, nobody, and anybody. There was an important job to be done telling the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it. But nobody did it. Now somebody got angry. Because it was everybody's job. But everybody thought that since anybody could do it, surely somebody would get it done. But nobody realized that everybody would never do it. And it turned out that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Think about that. When we get to the end and we give an account for our lives, well, we look back and say, I sure hope somebody else shared Jesus. Or will we say, I sure am glad I told somebody about Jesus. So who's your one? Write it down. If you don't have a pen, there's pens up here in a moment. I'm going to ask you to do this. We're going to have a time of invitation here in a moment. And what I want you to do is I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down on your bookmark. And I want you to put your bookmark in your Bible. And every day I want you to check off on the back side of it when you read that scripture and pray over that person. With this other part, though, I want you to do something else with it. I want you to bring it up during the time of invitation. I want you to place it somewhere on this altar. I want you to pray over it. And then we're going to pray collectively as a group. And we're going to do that every week. We're going to pray over these. Guys, this is not a joke. This is not some, I got an email from the Southern Baptist Convention decided to put it into play. No, I, I sought this out. Who's your one? If you don't have a card, there's some up front. If you don't have a pen, there's some up front. Think of it. And when the invitation starts, I want you to come lay that card on the altar and we're going to pray together. I want you to pray over it personally. Go back to your seat and then we're going to pray over it together at the end. But don't stop there, right? How many times have we done this in church? I'm going to go down and pray over my one person and then I forget about it. I want you to daily commit. Every time you look at this bookmark, read that scripture and pray that God would give you an opportunity. God would give you wisdom to share with that one person. I'm not qualified, Brother Jason. That's funny. Seems God put them on your heart. Did you think maybe you're the only one qualified for that person? That's the reason God put them on your heart. I'm going to tell you something else. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't call qualified men. He called fishermen. They were fixing the webs in their nets, getting ready to catch more fish when Jesus called his disciples. And he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to put you on a more important task. Now, this is a very real thing, and I want you to hear me. Say, Brother Jason, I don't really know how to share the gospel. I've never done that. I don't even really know how to do that. Listen, if that's you, that's okay. That's okay. 
but don't stay there. If that's you, you don't know how to share the gospel. You wouldn't know how to have a gospel conversation with somebody if they sat down with you at lunch. That's okay. You don't have to feel bad about that. But you don't have to stay there. I want you to call me this week. Nobody's got to know. Nobody's got to know you called me. You don't got to be embarrassed. You, you think, I've been in church my whole life. I've never shared the gospel with somebody. You call me this week. There are opportunities for people to help you on how to share the gospel. I can help you with that. There are tools to put in your hands. We have been blessed with, with folks who are very active in, in what they do to share the gospel with others. They've offered to help me to train people. I want you to go confidently. I will help you. Not knowing how to do something is not a weakness. It's an opportunity. And the good news is the tools to help you are in place. So we need to be committed to this. Who's your one? Think about that. What if 70 people heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ from this group? What a celebration in heaven when a soul gets saved. But you know what else? As we close, I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to say this. I believe with all my heart in a room this side, not only do we know people that's lost, but I believe there's somebody in this room today that if you're being honest, you're one as yourself. You're one as yourself. Say, what do you mean, Brother Jason? I mean, there's somebody in here that knows deep down. Maybe I've been a good person. Maybe I've been to church. Maybe I'm trying to get this done. Maybe I've been trying to do that. But the truth of the matter is, you can't go back confidently to a time when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You can't confidently go, well, I've been baptized, Brother Jason. I don't care. I was baptized before I was saved too. And now I'm your preacher. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks all the time. I don't care if you've been baptized. I don't care if your mama was baptized. I don't care if your grandmother was the greatest woman that walked. And I don't care if your daddy was a preacher. What I care about is can you tell me that confidently you know that there was a time in your life where you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and you repented of your sins and you said, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I can't do it on my own. And if you can't take me to that time, I want to talk to you about that this morning. No pressure. I just want to talk to you about that because I love you. So maybe you're one yourself. That's okay. Let's talk about that this morning. Let's pray. Father God, God, I ask you that you would move in this place this morning. Father, I pray you're moving on hearts already because we have so much in common as all humanity. Father, the fact is we're going to die. And Father, the truth is that when we die, we have a problem with the fact that we're not good enough to stand before you, God. Oh, but God, you loved us so much that while we were not good enough to stand before you, you sent Jesus to die that he might stand on our behalf, Father. And God, that's good news. It's good news. Father, help us not to keep the good news in our pocket. Father, burden our heart for somebody, Father. That we would all stand proudly and say that I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that saved my soul, Lord Jesus. God, you move in this. That we would have a white, hot passion for our one. And Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, 
as their Savior. God, would you move as only you can in their life so that we could celebrate this morning together the dead coming to life, Lord, the lost coming to salvation, and the burdened becoming free. God, we'll give you the glory. It's in your precious name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.